Hi, my name is Pete Scazzaro. I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader Podcast. I'm going to simply entitle this Leading Through Loss During the Coronavirus Pandemic. Leading Through Loss During the Coronavirus Pandemic. Just so you know, I actually recorded a different podcast uh, yesterday, but after I finished it, it didn't feel real. It didn't feel... Um, didn't, didn't feel right. Uh, part of it is I, I was spouting truths. It was really on the book of Revelation and Jesus being on the throne and the message of Revelation and all true and good stuff. However, I realized it wasn't where I was at internally at this point. Uh, and so God came to me about it and just said, that's not it. And uh, so right now the coronavirus is raging, spreading around the world, uh, changing people's lives, disrupting countries. Uh, and of course, churches. And so the question I just asked myself and, uh, and I've been asking myself is, God, how, how are you coming in the midst of this disruption? And I started making a list of everything from obviously the church is not about crowds and numbers. Uh, we've got to build differently how we do churches, uh, slowing down, serving the most vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I, I was just very interesting how, as I began to make this list here about what's happening, I... I, I wrote about my own loss. I realized I'm in grief and loss and a bit of confusion. I'm feeling, I wrote, what am I feeling? I just wanted to write my feelings out. I'm feeling numb. I'm feeling shocked. I'm feeling disoriented, slightly depressed. I'm looking for my grounding. I've lost my rhythms. Uh, I've got some fears that I'm carrying. And I actually began to list those fears on a scale of one to 10, you know, one being the lowest and 10 being the highest. What fears do I have around my health, uh, myself? And that was quite low. Uh, that I have uh, two of my daughters are living uh, in apartments in New York and in the city, and they're alone and concerns about them. And the daughter and her husband are in Australia, and they're on lockdown. And and then how do I care for my family uh, in the midst of all this? And uh, and then we're actually in a uh, uh, in our house with one of my daughters and her husband and two of their young children, uh, ages one and three. And so. Thank God we love them and get along with them and we've got some good skills. And I can thank God for Jerry and et cetera. But the question I wrote down was, how, how are you coming? And what are you saying and, and what are you doing? And I, and I just had to adjust my own uh, framework of recognizing, okay, I am in grief. And there is, a, there is a lot of loss happening here with this pandemic on so many levels. Uh, and again, not just our own personal lives, a bit of disruption. I began to think about people dying uh, in countries around the world. Uh, right now in Italy, I thought of our own country here in the United States and the, the elderly, the vulnerable. I don't imagine the doctors and healthcare workers and what they're, uh, the stress that they're carrying and countries and economies and jobs are going to be lost. And oh, Lord. So I, and so I actually even adjusted my time with Jesus this morning and I said, well, I don't even know how to pray. And so I went to the Psalms and I just ended up praying Psalm 103 uh, a few times quite slowly and just letting the words of Scripture become uh, the words of the prayers of Scripture and Psalms just become mine. I just really stayed actually on Psalm 103 and I'm looking forward to midday prayer and I'll come back to another Psalm or two. But I'm actually even adjusting my uh, what I'm doing in my time with Jesus. Uh, to fit the season I find myself in. And I realized, yeah, the world would like some, looking to pastors and leaders like me for some leadership. 
And right now, the leadership I realize I have to offer is where I am at right now, which is grief and loss. And I think that's uh, we've got to help give people a theology for that as they move forward. So what I'm going to share with you now is a, a message I gave uh, on grief and loss around the book of Job. And uh, to kind of your own processing, your own journey with Jesus, because we can only lead out of who we are. And we want to lead authentically and not just spout biblical truths about God being on the throne, everything's going to be okay. But there are a number of biblical truths, and this is one of them, that are very, very important uh, that we integrate more deeply into our lives as we do lead other people and walk through this. So uh, again, let me invite you to uh, enjoy this message on Job and his loss and grief and his process. Uh, and may God guide you and lead you as you stay with Jesus in these days and by God's grace, offer leadership uh, to those around you. All right. So God bless you. Have a great day. Enjoy this message. Book of Job, chapter three. As we do, I'd like just to pray. All right. And so, Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us as redeemer, savior and friend. And you would equip us here in a powerful way to be your disciples and to follow you and be transformed in the image of your son, Jesus. In his name, amen. All right, go with me, Job 3. It's right before the book of Psalms, kind of a tough book to find, you know, right before Psalms, middle of the Bible, and go to chapter 3. Now, I want you to think for a minute with me of three stories. I want you to name three stories of sorrow, loss, and or tragedy that have shaped your life. Now, think for a minute about that. Okay, everything from you know, divorce to deaths to perhaps abortions to breakups or betrayals or job losses or transitions or moves. Just pause for a few minutes. I'd like you to think before we begin here about three stories of sorrow, loss, and or tragedy that have impacted you, okay, impacted your life over these years. Even for you young folk here, Okay, by high school, you've had a few that have come your way. All right, so take about 10, 15 seconds and just think on that, all right? Okay. Now, some of you had a are having a difficult time thinking of some. Uh, others of you, you have a backlog of about 10,000 that uh, you have stuffed, and uh, you're saying you're just on overload right now. You need a zip drive to put them on. Uh, maybe some others of you, as you just even pause and think for a few minutes or a few seconds, you're saying, wow, uh, I have, I, I kind of worked it through, I think, but even as I reflect on the, what it is, I'm, I'm amazed that there's still perhaps some more there for me in that in terms of working it through. And there may be some of you here in this room that you are right now in the midst of some significant sorrow or loss in your life or tragedy. And so you've got, you know, this is very significant for you right now. All right, let's just read now because we're going to read, you know, Job who is in the midst of loss, big loss. Uh, and actually, the Bible records for us about 35 chapters of him wrestling with his tragedy, with his loss, with his grief. And again, God recorded it for us, for, for us to learn, to grow, to, to mature. And so I'm just going to read you a few verses from uh, chapter 3, and then a couple from chapter 6, all right? Verse 1, after this, Job opened his mouth, again, after the great tragedy that befell him. And he curses the day of his birth. And he says, may the day of my birth perish. 
and the night it was set, a, ba- a boy is born, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine upon it. May darkness and deep shadow claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm its light. And look at chapter 6. And Job replies, If only my anguish could be weighed and all my misery be placed on the scales, it would surely outweigh the sand of the seas. No wonder my words have been impetuous. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God's terrors are marshaled against me. And then he goes on. All right. He's in some serious grieving, okay, and loss. Now, we've been in a series here, and uh, we've gone through uh, as emotionally healthy, spiritually, emotional, emotional healthy spiritualities is the title. And we've talked about the courage to pursue emotional health and the gift of emotions, living faithful to oneself. In the last two weeks, we've been on going back in order to go forward. And today, we are moving into enlarging your soul through grief and loss. Okay, that, that's our title. And uh, this, this, I realize that this, is, this very much relates, and the series builds on each other, because as you go back to where you, in your history and where you come from, uh, I realize that there are things and there are events, there are people, and I need to grieve some things that happened in, through my life. So I can make peace with my past and move on for the future. And it requires uh, enlarging our soul or grieving uh, through loss. But I also, as I go back, I, I recognize that the way my family dealt with loss and dealt with tragedy impacted me. And so, for example, maybe in your family of origin, you were not allowed to grieve as a child or, or how the length of time you were allowed to grieve or what you were allowed to grieve. But that impacts how we even approach this topic of grief and loss. And, uh, and so today... Uh, oops, sorry. Today, as we talk about enlarging your soul through loss, uh, we come at it very differently here in this room. Again, African Americans, or if you're from Africa, that's one way. Latin Americans and Chinese and Korean culture. Again, European or Eastern European, Western European, Arab, Jew. But cultures have their different dynamics. So, for example, um, as far as we know, only humans cry. Some people believe animals cry. No scientific proof on that one. But it's a unique human phenomenon that we're able to actually shed tears and cry. But let's, on one extreme, you have cultures like, like the British, or at least extreme British culture, that says no must, no fuss, and a very rational way of dealing with death of family members. So, for example, as one sister said, true story, explaining why she was not going to go to the funeral of her twin sister, she said, what would be the point of spending money on the airfare to get there. She's already dead. Okay, that's one extreme. The other extreme is where a person dies and time stops forever. And again, cultures like Italy and Greece are the examples uh, where a woman will traditionally wear black or the dress of mourning the rest of her life after her husband dies. And in my culture, Italian culture, it's not uncommon for a family member to jump in the grave with the coffin when it's lowered down. And uh, so uh, that's the other extreme. Actually, Queen Victoria, who ruled about two-thirds of the 20th century, uh, when her husband, her husband died when she was 42. Now, for the rest of her life, 40 years later, she wore the dress of of the funeral. And uh, she slept with his nightshirt for many, many, many years. In fact, she made his room, where he lived, 
a sacred room. And nothing was ever, it was exactly it was when he was alive. And so every day for the rest of her life, for the next 40 years, she had his linens changed in his bed. She had his clothes laid out fresh by the servants. And she had fresh water laid out and prepared for him to shave as if he was alive every day. And uh, actually, when she, every bed she slept in for the rest of her life, she always had a, a nice picture of her dead husband, Albert, there. But she, he was the center of the rest of her life. All other relationships, and her children wrote about it, were secondary to her dead husband. So, again, one of the fundamental themes of life is dealing with death and dealing with loss, just in, in, for all humanity. But in the Bible has a tremendous amount to say about death and about grieving and about loss. And uh, it's, it's such a major theme of Scripture that, I don't know if you're aware, but we have a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations, lamenting or grieving. And 35% uh, to 70% of the Psalms are about grieving. They're called lament Psalms. They're about grieving loss and tragedy and expressing sorrow. I mean, David, as we talked about a couple of years ago in this series on Psalms, David commanded the people to sing laments or griefs to Psalms. He taught the community to grieve together as part of their discipleship in knowing God. In fact, Jesus says in Hebrews that he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Jesus himself. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In fact, in Genesis 6, it says that God grieved that he had made man. And he was filled with pain because of their wickedness. And uh, in fact, in the early church, they had a whole theology of tears. Uh, they used to talk about four types of tears. Tears of contrition, tears of sorrow, tears of gladness, and tears of grace. They call them sacred tears. The whole, interesting, even St. Benedict and, and Thomas of Akempis, they wrote whole things about sacred tears. It was such a, again, it was such a high value in the early church. In fact, St. Francis of Assisi, the theory goes, what it was worth, that he went blind at the end of his life from so many tears and so much weeping. I don't know if it's true, but it preaches good. Now, this, this title, and I'm calling it Enlarging Your Soul Through Loss, it's a phrase I read many years ago, and and I never forgot it. it. It impacted me. And for me, it brought out a centerpiece of, of the Bible's theology or understanding on, on grief and loss and sadness. And uh, it comes from a guy named Jerry Sitzer. And what happened to him, Jerry Sitzer was a Christian professor at a university out in Seattle. And he was on a homeschooling trip with his four children, his mom and his wife. And on the way back from the Indian reservation, they were hit by a drunken driver traveling 85 miles an hour. And his wife died instantly, his mother died instantly, and his daughter died instantly. And you can imagine, as he, called, he said it was an atomic bomb that went off in his family. And he, he talked about laying on the side of the road as three dead bodies and the drunken driver over there, who eventually was never convicted after you let go and everything, no, no conviction. But he had to wrestle with, his, with God in this whole process. And he wrote this book called The Grace Disguised. And in it, here's what, here's what he said, just, just one little few lines. He goes, it's not therefore true that we become less through loss unless we allow the loss to make us less. Loss can also make us more. I did not get over my loved ones. Rather, I absorbed the loss into my life until it became a part of who I am. Sorrow took up permanent residence in my soul and enlarged it. And I believe he captured a part of what the Bible teaches 
about loss and tragedy and grief, that it's God's intention, it's a major discipleship issue, that through it, our souls would be enlarged and not contracted, all right? So, now listen, you know, losses come in all shapes and, and sizes. And so, for example, all of us are going through loss as we age. And really, I, I remember going from grammar school to, to high school and the loss of, of the fun of junior high and more work and the loss of high school ending to college and, and, and some of you going from high school to a job. There's a grieving as we grow older. In fact, we're all growing older and no plastic surgery is going to stop it. No tummy tuck or anything, all right? And, we, and it's a loss as youth kind of vanishes and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. Then there's the loss of, of dreams. I mean, it's been said by many a spiritual leader that the greatest spiritual challenge to uh, midlife, which is the 30s, 40s, and 50s, is mourning or grieving the dreams that you will never accomplish. And that if you don't mourn those losses well, you don't really mature and grow up. You get stuck. And uh, mourning things like not having children or not having grandchildren or, or maybe the marriage that we have hoped or the career or the dream and, and or maybe grieving the limits of my life, recognizing that I have limits and I can actually see the end. And I'm not going to do so many things that I thought I'd be able to do. I have one short life to live. So it's that losses are dreams, grieving that. Then there's just the transition losses that happen to all of us. And some of you, some of you, many of you in this room are immigrants. You came here from another country. You, you lost, you left behind. Think of the loss of family. If you left behind your language, some of you changed your name when you came here. You lost food that you were comfortable with. I mean, and you came to America and all that that meant. That was just a tremendous loss. The loss of being a second, third generation of your culture. And you don't quite fit in with your parents anymore. You don't quite fit in with the mainstream American culture. And just the loss of, of being this in-between 1.5 generation and the loss of saying, well, how do I connect here? I mean, just the loss of, of children, if you have children growing up, and the transition of them going through into elementary school or being on their own and they don't need you quite anymore, it's quite, quite a loss. Um, there's a loss of moving to New York from another part of the country. These transitions are all losses that we go through. Then there's catastrophic losses. I'm talking about deaths where maybe a parent dies, even if it wasn't expected. Uh, there's sudden traumatic losses from accidents where people die. Suicides. A number of our families here have suicide that ran in our family. Uh, a suicide of a child is quite catastrophic. The death of a spouse. Uh, war. Affairs. Divorce. Health, when all of a sudden out of nowhere, you're in your 20s and you found you have cancer and that you're hanging on for your life and your friends are moving on and going to school and building their careers and you're one of you can even be around in five years. And then, of course, there's silent losses, they're called. I'm talking about things like infertility or something happened where your innocence was lost at a young age or a miscarriage, or an abortion, or a stillbirth, or abuse, and we can go on. And then there's the loss, and I'll close with this one, because the list is obviously endless. There's the loss of what you thought and understood about God, and church, and the loss of what, I, what worked for me for a long period of time, or maybe a short period of time, as I, maybe I came to Christ, and the loss of 
it doesn't, I'm, I'm now, I've moved. And some of you, even coming to new life was a loss. As much as you enjoyed it, the loss of saying, the kind of Christianity I was living from years, it just doesn't work. And the loss of like, I'm moving on to something and I'm, I feel weird and it feels strange and I'm always grieving because I'm not there anymore. Even when I'm with some of these people, I'm not there anymore with them. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a grieving. And some of you are actually in that. And that can be a very healthy process. Now, again, I believe even, even churches go through grievings. And a church that doesn't ever grieve is not a healthy church. And, for example, there's a certain element of grieving for some of us here as we moved and bought this building and moved into a whole other phase of our church. There's so much change going on. There's a certain grieving. And where all these new people are coming, the old new life is gone. And, and what happens inevitably as churches go through grievings and losses and moves on, some folks don't know what's going on. And they just say, oh, oh my gosh, I, I got to get out of here. But there's a grieving involved, even when good things are happening. I could buy a building. All right, now Job is a classic because Job is a powerful story about loss. In fact, many say it's the first book of the Bible that was ever written was the book of Job. In fact, I, you know, as you know, I wrote a chapter on this in a book, and I, I don't know why I never even saw Job before. And it just hit me. I said, my goodness, Job is, is the story of somebody walking through loss and grief. And uh, because he suffered here in the same way every one of us suffer here, in his material possessions, his family, and his health, which are the three big ones, hit him. And... Um, so let, let's, let's go, you know, let me just tell you the story of Job in summary here before we get to the text and I break this down. Job had wealth that was staggering. In fact, he would have made Fortune magazine, which just came out recently with the, the billionaires, right? The top billionaires in the world, wealthiest people. He would have been up there, Mr. and Mrs. Job, right after Bill Gates. And I mean, he had, and the Bible describes it in Job chapter one, his wealth as staggering. It would be the equivalent of Lexuses and helicopters and real estate all over the world jets and boats, but it says he has 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. Now understand, camels were, uh, of that day, were a prestigious animal. If you had camels, you were wealthy, and uh, they, were, they gave you a lot of status. He had 3,000, okay, he had 3,000 Rolls Royces, okay, 3,000 camels, and he had 500 yoke of oxen, donkeys, and a large staff running all this. So he had enormous wealth. Then it describes his spiritual life. This guy is godly. His motivation is pure. He's concerned about his sin. He's walking with God. He, he's praying for his kids in case they sin. He's deeply aware of God, and he is avoiding all kinds of evil. So you've got a guy here who's got integrity. But then what happens is, you know, in a day, all the forces of heaven and hell come against this guy, tornadoes and lightning and, and um, uh, enemies. And in one day, his 10 children die. Can you imagine? A few of you have lost children. There's few griefs as great as that one. He lost 10 in one day. Then his wealth in a day vanishes from enemies. And this guy, I mean, it's incredible. He goes from great wealth from Forbes magazine, number two or three, to poverty in a day. And as this, imagine in one day, the staggering blow of that. And on top of that, as he's trying to recover, he gets sick. And it actually is described in a little bit of detail, uh, this sickness, that he'd get these, these boils all over his body with pus and infected with worms and fever with chills and his, his, his darkening and shriveling skin and he's got diarrhea and his red eyes are swollen and pain that never stops. And, and many folks have studied kind of some of the descriptive words about his sickness here. But it was so horrific that when his three friends come to visit him, 
They don't even recognize him. That's how sick he is. And so he leaves and goes outside the city gates with those who are outcasts, and he's kind of scraping the sores off his body, and he's grotesque. And then on top of it all, his wife, who's disgusted now, she's lost 10 kids. That's 10 funerals. She's lost all of her wealth, and now she's in poverty. And then she's got a husband here who's dying. So she's done with God. And in some ways, you can don't blame her, right? I mean, you can understand. And she comes to Job and says, curse God and die. And um, it's, what's so heavy about Job, it's not just his suffering, although it's great, but it's undeserved suffering. And there's no real connection going on here between the amount of wrong that we commit and the amount of pain we experience. That's what's so bewildering. This guy is experiencing a level of pain and suffering that doesn't go with his life. And that's the great struggle, the bewilderment of, of Job. It's like, ah! And, uh, and so Job goes through what I'm going to call the phases of grief in, in such a powerful way, what's recorded for us. And uh, his soul is enlarged through the process. And so I'm going to break it down to, to these three phases. I'll take them one by one. He, he pays attention to it. He, he lives in the confusing in-between, and we'll talk about these. And then he lets the old birth the new. That's kind of his process. And actually, I was tempted to add a fourth, but I don't believe it fits in here, but I'll mention it later. Uh, but let's take it piece by piece, all right, to, to, to just paying attention first, all right? So let, let's go with number one and look for a minute with me at chapter three again in, in chapter six. Because if you have, I want to encourage you to read Job, all right, when you go home. Because the bulk of the book is him paying attention and struggling and living in this confusing in between. But he is, this guy, I mean, he's cursing the day he was born. I mean, just think about the day you were born, my birthday, all right? You know, July 10th. I cursed that day that I should ever have been alive. God just, you should have just killed me than let me go through this kind of pain and suffering. And he describes it in chapter six. He says, my anguish is so great. Now, you know, just think of, you ever, ever carry sand in a bucket? It's heavy, right? He says, my anguish is like carrying the weight of the sand all the sand in the world. Think of all the beaches. Because the suffering and anguish that I'm experiencing is so great, it feels like the weight of the sand on all the shores on the face of the earth. That's, I don't know how much pain you're in today. That's a lot of pain. He says in verse 3 here in chapter 6, he goes, you know what? He says, the, verse 4, the, it's like the God shot a bow and arrow, and he shot arrows right at me, and those arrows are in me. Just picture, you know, those old Western movies, you know? It's like God shot arrows, and they're in me. So I'm not just carrying the weight of the sand of all the seashores. I got God shooting arrows at me. And he declares to me, he goes, they're poisonous arrows, and my spirit's drinking them in. And God's terrors, God's terrors are marshaled against me. So we've got him, he, he's, he's shouting at God. He's got these wild prayers. And I mean, there's so many to read there. He doesn't curse God. But he's transparent, he's open, he's struggling, and he tells God exactly what he's feeling. I mean, he tells his friends and he tells God, but he very much pays attention to what's going on inside of him. He's very aware of it, and he's very open about it with God and with his religious friends. And it's just, it's just, it's very much like King David, if you read the Psalms. It's very much like Jeremiah, read Jeremiah. It's very much like Jesus. And in his, some of his, read some of the scriptures in the, in the Gospels. But I want you, what I want you to notice as you read Job, it's so different than our culture today. 
especially our Christian culture, where we resist this idea of entering into pain and paying attention to it so our soul might get enlarged. I mean, our culture is more, bigger, better, healthier, right? Richer, up, 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 more, 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 more. I mean, we see when something bad happens to us, there's a loss or a tragedy. It's like, for us, it's like, this is like an alien invader from Mars. Like, what, what is this doing here? Because my life is big, better, I mean, I'm going up. And we, we just, we reject it. Get, get out of here. This is a, a cruel interruption in my life. And so we say, get over it. You know, just get over it. We make little of it. Get on with it. You know, God works all things together for good. With his help, I can scale a wall and uh, praise God. And, and we don't have any time for this idea of this interruptions coming into our life. And, and so, and even the church, there's very little theology in the church for anger and for depression, for waiting, for loss. I mean, you don't hear a lot about this in the church today because we've been so affected by our culture here in America. And it was so interesting to me to study the early church fathers when they had such a theology for all this. I realized, boy, we're so impacted by our culture that when we're in it and living through it, it's so hard to see because you're swimming in it. But the Bible's so full of it. And so, you know, what do we do? You know, we, we go through denial. As losses come our way, we don't pay attention. We deny it. And, um, you know, I think of a friend who told me about when her mom's mom died. She says, Pete, this is how I was raised. My mom's mom, when her mom died, she was, you know, she was crushed. But she would not let any of us children see her cry. So she would sneak into a room by herself, cry a little bit, and get out. And then show the kids that everything's okay. And she goes, that, that was the model. And it was never spoken of. That's how my family and a family's family, that's how we all dealt with loss in my family. But it was denial. Others of us, we distract. We go into addiction. We find something to medicate our pain. And whether it's alcohol or drugs or shopping or sex or pornography or being busy or work or my career, it, that, that's the biggest thing in our culture is, is I find something to be addicted to that I don't have time to feel it. And I numb the pain by being consumed. And I, and I, you know, it's... Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very true that one of the, you know, for, for um, the most promising preventive to addiction is to learn to grieve. My pain, so I don't have to go to something else to medicate it. I mean, others of us, you know what we do? We demand that someone or something take away the pain of life. And so maybe we get married and we expect our spouse to take away the pain of life. And we get angry because they don't. We still got this gnawing feeling of like something's missing in his pain. Or we get some, we, let's have children. That'll take away the pain of life. And we get angry at them. Or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a career or a church. And we, and we get mad. It's like, why is it taking away all the pain in my life? And we put demands on people and things or jobs or careers that God never intended. And we get furious when they don't deliver. Others of us, we, we walk in depression because of the years that we have denied our own pain. Because we've never been discipled on grief. We've had a bad theology, a bad upbringing on it. So what happens, we, we swallow it in an unhealthy way. We don't pay attention to it. And we find ourselves almost like we're out of touch with reality because we don't feel a lot anymore. And we kind of got a low-level depression from it. And we're kind of dull emotionally or unresponsive to reality. And year after year after year, we deny losses that happen to us. And before you know it, we are Christians walking around with kind of like empty, we're empty on the inside. Praise God, glory to God. But inside, there's no depth and there's an emptiness because we've not grieved our own losses and allowed God to transform us through them. And uh, so again, I, I, our capacity for grieving in our culture, I mean, we barely grieved for the World Trade Center. I mean, a horrific, 
terrorist event about 10 miles from where we are right now in our city. And some of you in your neighborhood came some bomb, flying bombs. And even then, we barely grieved for too long. It was so difficult for us to enter into as a culture. I mean, that's why some of us for forgiveness is so hard for us to forgive people because we never, we never grieved what happened. And we wonder why 20 years later, we're still saying, I forgive him, I forgive him. Because, but we can't because we've never grieved at first to be able to let it go. We wonder why am I, I'm, I'm throwing the verses around, but nothing seems to change because you can't forgive what you haven't grieved. And that's a whole other story. Now, catch this. It's unbiblical and it's inhuman not to pay attention to your losses and griefs and tragedies. In fact, there have been many studies done about the whole gender roles. For us men, it's much more difficult to grieve because of our, just the cultural dynamics. I mean, we were told, hey, boys don't cry. Men don't cry. And I read a study just this past week that showed that 45, this study showed 45% of men they interviewed said they never cried in a given year. That's a high percentage. 6% of women said they never cried. That's a pretty big gap between the gender roles. Actually, this sermon flies a lot better for women than men. This is hard for many of us raised with certain gender role models of what it meant to be a man. But if you look in the scriptures, and I, I, did, I did a great study this week, how many men are grieving and lamenting so openly? I know it's, it's actually politically correct right now, but, but you know, in the Bible, men are just so expressive, even much more than the women in scripture. It's very fascinating. Okay, so that's number one. I, if, I'm gonna, if this is going to happen, where I'm going to walk through this, and my soul is going to get enlarged through loss, requires first that I pay attention rather than run away. All right? Number two is, which is relates to it, because as I pay attention, I get confused. I get bewildered. I'm wondering why. I'm wondering where is God? What's going on here? And I end up what I'm going to I simply call the living in the confusing in between. And what happens here is in the, in the book of Job, and again, I want, it's hard to read through those 35 chapters, but his three friends show up to comfort him. And their names are Eliphaz, Zophar, and Bildad. Okay? Now, with names like that, you know they're not good friends. And these three guys show up. And they're, they're, they're religious people. They know the Bible. And they would be considered believers, good believers today. And they give, they talk, and the book's really about them talking to Job. And they basically, they know the scriptures, and they say, Job, the reason you're suffering is because you, you must have sinned. You know, the Bible says, whatever you sow, you'll reap. You must have sown sin. Because God would not be dealing with you this way if you hadn't sown sin. And uh, their thing is, you know, justice. You know, justice of God, you're, you're suffering. And they're, they're legalists. You know, Job, you didn't pray enough. You're not living a good enough life. You didn't read the Bible enough. And God's punishing you. The sad thing is it's not, that's not true. Job is innocent. Okay, that, that's the point of Job. That's the great struggle in Job is that the guy did pray. The guy did read the word. It, it, I mean, no, this, this is not, this doesn't compute. And he's an innocent good sufferer. And so they have these three guys who come. They don't believe in this confusing in between. They, they don't buy it. And so they're trying to fix Job. They, they got, they're trying to get God's, they're trying to protect God's theology, you know. And, and they have no mystery in their theology. Like, they couldn't say to Job, I don't know. They had to slap some Bible verses all over it to figure it out. And uh, this book of Job attacks religious people because it's saying that religion will kill you, just like it killed Jesus and put him on the cross. But these 
three guys are, 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 are vicious in their use of truth with Job, and they're tormenting him. Job has a lot of questions to God. He's asking, what's going on? These guys don't have questions. All they have is answers and conclusions. That's their sin. They play God, and they stand in God's shoes, and they sin against Job. Now, what's really, you know, I, I don't know about you, but have you been with people who reduce God to explanations and answers all the time? And when you're in pain, they make things worse because they've got an answer what God's doing. They know what God's doing. And they, they're killing you. And you're like, oh, God, end this torment, please, soon. But it's sad because the church is filled with people functioning like these three friends. Rather than go through the freight, be with people as they walk through grief, and they're in the confusing in between, in mystery, and, and people don't know what's going on, they're answering. And a Job, the sad thing is Job isn't just fighting with God. He's not just fighting with his wife. He isn't just fighting with, I'm sure, the community about what happened to him. He's got to fight with the, with the people in the church. Like, give me a break. For 35 chapters, he's got to fight with these people. Like, get off my back. I, I don't know why it's happened. And uh, let's face it, a lot of times we're with people who are suffering, and we want to fix them. And we want to make them better. And so we start saying things that we shouldn't. You know, if these three friends were more humble, they would have shut their mouths and been more silent. They were quiet for seven days and they couldn't take it anymore. They would have been a lot more cautious in giving advice. And what they would have done is just be present with Job and loved him. Just been present with him, sat with him, been present with him, let him rail and be with him in that confusing in between. Because it's very confusing. Now, we don't know how long this confusing in between lasted for Job. Uh, Months, years, we don't know. The Bible doesn't say. We know it lasted a very long time. 35 chapters worth. I like what Eugene Peterson once wrote about Job. He says, every time that we do what Job did, we persist with Job, and we reject these quick fixes that people counsel us to do, even though they don't understand us. Because every time we resist that, we deepen our availability and openness to revelation that can only come out of the storm. Beautiful line, isn't it? But he goes, we've got to be able to resist the quick fixes and the, the things that people say to us when we're in the middle of a storm that want to pull us out of this confusing in-between. It's very confusing to be in that in-between. I hate that confusing in-between. But there's something that happens out of it. And if we stay with it and we wait, and again, depending on the gravity of what you've been through, how long that confusing in-between can last, something else will birth. And it's simply called letting the old birth the new. And if you read the book of Job and you get towards the end, we learn a good lesson that good grieving is not just letting go, but it's letting that bless us back. That's good grieving. It's not just I let it go, but I let it bless me so I can be a blessing to other people. Now, if you don't walk through this process, a couple of things begin to happen to you. Um, you bury it. Time, for some people, time freezes. You know, they, they, people go through a loss or a tragedy and they become locked in time. It's like they say, I, I, I'm living in that dream I had for the past and since it's never going to happen, I'm locked here the rest of my life. Or the emotions of anger I have here, I carry the rest of my life. Or I, I, I dread the future, I don't even want to think about it. I mean, I know people who got hurt in a church split, for example, or wounded in leadership way back here, 30 years ago. And that hurt 
They're living in 30 years later. Because as they paid attention to their pain and they touched the confusing in between, it didn't fit all theology. It was no, they did not let the old world. They stayed right where they are. They froze in time. Do you know folks who are frozen in time to a past loss and tragedy? Maybe you are. Some folks, all the relationships they have, they become rigid. They become like, almost like um, uh, concrete. So for example, the fa in some families, when a, when a loss comes, the family shuts down. Nobody gets close to each other anymore because it's been hurt and the marriage dissolves, all kinds of things happen. And, um, but there's an inability to, 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 to attach and there's almost like a, a decision is made, I will not trust anybody anymore after that hurt because I don't want to get hurt again. So I'll just shut it down. You know, for some folks just get sick physically. I mean, just they, they, they swallow it and it just, it, it, it plays itself out over the years in all kinds of physical sicknesses, which a lot, a lot of work's been done on that. But the really sad thing is, if you don't go through this letting the old birth anew over time, what happens is life, you shut down to the joy of life that God has for you. You no longer experience that joy because you're so mad about the, but what happened? And so nothing new gets birthed. All that happens is all the new God had for you, you shut it all out. And in fact, I think the greatest tragedy is God intends for us to walk through these things so we might mature in Christ. No human being is exempt from this. You hear me? Every one of us must walk through grief and loss. Every one of us. I like what Jonathan Edwards says. The story of Job is the story of all of us. Every one of us will lose everything. Do you realize before you die, you're going to lose your health? You will die on that deathbed with no health. You will die having lost every possession you own. You're going to release it and give it away, whether you like it or not. And your, your health will be shot, and your family, you're losing them too, because you're leaving. You will lose everything. And so the story of Job is the story of all of us. Only for some of us, it happens all at once. Like Job. Others, it happens very slowly. But naked, you will be. And so the question is, how will you walk through this? And God says, I intend this to be my people do it differently than everybody else. They walk through it in the same pain, but they walk through it this way, trusting that I'm good and I'm God and I'm on the throne. And that their soul is going to be enlarged through this loss. And that, as Henry Nouwen says, the degree to which you grieve is a degree to which you are compassionate. If you don't grieve, you're not compassionate. Do you know why? How can you grieve my pain if you don't grieve your own? How can you enter into it? You're a fish. And you know what? When you're in pain, do you want to go to people who haven't grieved their own pain? So think about that. The degree to which you grieve is a degree to which you are compassionate. People who grieve greatly and Lord, as you can confirm this, are very compassionate people because they've owned their own. They've let the old birth the new and their soul has been enlarged through loss. You know, if you look at Job, again, what happens at the end of his life, uh, God does prosper him again and he gets a lot of wealth back. Not the same wealth, but he gets a lot of it back. New possessions. He actually remarries, has another family. Now, you know what? His old family's gone. They're dead. They didn't come resurrect. But he does end up with a new family. He lives to 140 years old. And the Bible says he saw his children to the fourth generation. Now, I know if I was Job, I'd say, God, I'd, I'd rather give me the 10 children back and I'll die, you know, at age 51. But he was willing to go God's way, living those, live in those 35 chapters, which is point two. And then he let the old birth the new. Was it the same as the old? No. Was it better than the old? I don't know. But it was different than the old. But there was a new. And not just did, he, did things change, but 
his character, the Bible makes it very clear at the end that Job was a different person at the end of this thing. And he's called God's servant four times. And one of the themes of Job is this is the way God makes his servants. And he prays for those three bums that he should kill at the end. And he's got compassion and love flowing at him toward these guys, which to me is, is incredible. But again, his soul is enlarged through loss. There's this guy named, named Misilovo uh, Volf, and he's, uh, he's from Serbia, a theologian. And he wrote a book uh, uh, called Exclusion or Embrace. And in it, he talked about something called the grace of non-remembering. And I was tempted to make it point four, but I don't think it belongs there. But I think it's worth considering. Here's what he says. And again, he's talking, he's talking about the people. He's writing in the context of that Bosnian-Serbian war with this hatred going back 700 years. I mean, tremendous ethnic rage and hatred. Um, and he's, he says, at the end of time, when we see him face to face, and we're, we're in a new heaven and a new earth, and all things will have passed away and become new, he says, there is going to be a grace of non-remembering that we will be able to enjoy Jesus and heaven, but maybe you walk through Auschwitz or the Holocaust or an incredible suffering on earth, but there will be a grace that somehow you will not remember that anymore and you will enjoy him forever. And he, he, he throws out the idea. He says, he says, if we properly mourn, now this, this is why I don't want to make a point four because you have to grieve it well. He, said, he suggests basically, I believe there could be a grace because I've seen where God's released a grace of non-remembering. Where it's almost like I don't even remember it anymore. But I've worked it through. I've done this. I didn't skip this. My fear of making a point four is because I know the temptation is I'm going to skip one, two, three, and I'm going right to four. But I've experienced it and I have seen it at times. But as he says, not everyone, but he's just seen it at times. But it's a, if God gives it to you, it's a grace. A grace of non remembering. It's a great, great thought. I don't know if Job had it or not. But we face many deaths, don't we, in our lives? I mean, many, many deaths. And here's the question. As, as you go through loss and tragedy and disappointments, do these deaths crush your spirit and wreck you spiritually? Or are they a vehicles through which Christ matures you and makes you someone great for him? And that's a choice we make. Now, if you step back and think about it, Christianity is all about death and resurrection. That's the whole point of the right? Death, loss, if a, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, what? It will bear no fruit. And so Christianity is about losing, dying, so that there can be resurrection and new life and transformation. That's the heart. If you step back, that's the heart of the Christian message. And that's what God says about grief and loss is that as you die and lose and surrender it to me and let it go, it comes back in resurrection and transformation in a new form. But if you resist and fight the dying, you become bitter and you get no life. Because it flows out of unbelief. And uh, God has something new. Do you realize every one of us here is going through loss? I know that. On some manner, shape, or form. And all of us have experienced loss. But here's the wonderful news. God has something new for every one of us here. If we will follow him, God has something new. And most importantly, he's going to enlarge your soul and make you more like Jesus. But you've got to do it his way. You can't run from reality. You can't run from paying attention and living in the confusing in between as much as you dislike it. You can't get to three without one and two. And I'm sorry, I don't know when two ends. 
it can last a very long time depending on the magnitude of what happened. So here's all right. Let's go back to this, this, these three things. I want you to go back to these. Name three stories of sorrow, loss, and or tragedy that have impacted your life. So I hope you had a couple of those three when we started the message. And I want you to get them out, or if you wrote them down, or just get them back in your head. You're probably thinking about a person or an event, something. All right, there you are. Now, I want to ask you, in light of this biblical teaching, where are you in these phases? Now, again, these phases overlap, and how do you know? I mean, I wish I could say, all right, now, next five minutes, we're going to do all three phases and be done and have the grace of non-remembrance. But that's not the way it works, obviously. It's a little more complex than that. But I do want to ask you, where are you? Because my concern is some of you have never paid attention to them. For cultural reasons or church reasons or whatever. But I hope you've seen here, God is very clear we are to pay attention. Or maybe you've never lived in the confusing in between. We're like, Dave, you're wrestling. Oh, God is good. Where are you, God? And, and you're wrestling with God and you can't see where it's all going. All you know is the past is over and the new isn't here yet. And I don't know where we're going. And some of you are right there, but you're there and you're angry. And instead of being a worshiper like David, you shut down. And God can't even get through to you right now because you're mad that you're stuck in two and you can't help it. Or maybe some of you, you said, you yeah, know, I think I have allowed the older birth to new. And I, I, it's interesting, even at the first service, some people came to me with incredible stories of, you know, what it meant to, where they are and the process of letting some of the old birth to new. And, and uh, so let me ask you, where are you? Just take a minute and just think about that for a second, okay? And as you do, I want to invite the worship team to come on forward. Okay, so I want you to think of those of three stories of sorrow, loss, and tragedy that have shaped your life. And where are you in these three biblical phases? 